years ago, I, I read a book um, in, in the book. It was by Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. And these two gentlemen are, are Christian missiologists. And they talk about the mission of the church and how it goes out and what God's doing. And I remember in this book at the time that they talked about this phrase that, that just stuck with me for whatever reason. But it's not something they came up with. I believe a sociologist came up with it. But it was this uh, phrase of routinization of charisma. And what it means is uh, when there's a movement or a big thing that happens and uh, it kind of has its its beginnings in Christianity, but it's been broadly applied to other things. When this thing happens and then over time it starts to take on different forms and it becomes stabilized by different structures. And so within the church, this has happened. Jesus comes and God in the flesh and he lives this perfect life and he dies an atoning death and he rises again and the resurrection happens and the gospel begins to go out and people are excited and this thing's happening. And then over time, it starts to be kind of put into this routine and this thing and these structures and it starts to happen. And so what they were saying in the book is over time, we start to lose the thing that was right at the center at the beginning of Jesus and what he said. And we start to add a bunch of things to it. And I was thinking about that idea. It reminded me of a story. Uh, it's kind of loosely related, a, a humorous story about a, a mom with her young daughter that's about 10 years old and grandmom. And the three of them are together in their kitchen around Christmas and they're, they're fixing a big meal and they're reading off of their great grandmothers, the, the youngest, the great grandmothers uh, card, recipe card. And they're, they're making a, a ham and they're making this together and they're teaching the 10 year old how to do this. And the ways that they've gone about it and, and they have the card there and they're telling her what to do. And they say, you take the ham out and you, and you cut both ends off and you put it in this thing and you, you wrap it with foil and you put certain spices and all these things on it. And then you cook it and that's how we make it. And the little girl looks and she says, why do we cut both ends off? And the mom goes, you know, I'm not sure. And she turns to her mother, the grandmother and goes, why do we do that? And she's like, well, I don't know. That's the way my mom always did it. And she always told me, and she said, well, she's going to be here later for dinner as they're gathering together. Four generations are going to sit down at the table and they go ask her. That would make her day to, for her to know that you're using a recipe and you ask her when she comes. And so that night they sit down to eat and the youngest says to the great grandmother, four generations. And she says, we were making your recipe for the ham and we cut both ends off like your card says. Why do we do that? And she said, well, honey, my pan was always too small. To fit the, pan, the, the ham in it. And so that's why I cut the ends off. You don't need to cut the ends off. You're just wasting a good part of it. And she was like, oh, you know, and so sometimes we start to do things and they become routine and we start to do it and we stop and we go, why do we do that? And, and so it helps us to kind of come back and think about it. And that's what the guys are talking about in this book, about the routinization of charisma, the things that grow up around it and the structures we put in place. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to come back to just the very heart of what we say our mission as a church is. Very simple, straightforward. And I think it's the only mission that Jesus gave us. I think it was his final kind of marching orders for the church and what we're to be about. And in Matthew chapter 28, what we often refer to is the Great Commission. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And that's what we often say is the Great Commission. And that's the mission that Jesus gave to the church to go make disciples. That's it. That's what he told us to do. And so we try to stick to that and we say that regularly here that that's our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do and what he was saying. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter two. 
And we're going to start to think together about what they were doing. This first generation, those that were with Jesus, that were following him and they take seriously what he says and they go out and they begin to do it. What does that look like? And so I want us to think about this idea of disciples making disciples. And we're going to look at that passage in Acts chapter two as we do. But as we think about discipleship, we say that it's a church word. We say a lot. Maybe you've heard it a lot. Sometimes when we say words a lot within the church, we talk we say disciple or discipleship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need to make sure we know what we're talking about. And so just a couple introductory things. If you've been around CODA for a while, you've heard these. Hopefully you've heard it a bunch. But what I'm learning is even though I say something a lot, doesn't mean that everybody's heard it a lot. And so I want to just make sure introductory matters, a couple of things. And the first is we need to define what discipleship is. And so if you go out in the out the back doors and towards the fellowship hall on our wall there, my whole sermon outline today is on the wall. It's there. Right. So if you're not sure if you're a note taker, you can go take pictures of the wall and you'll have the big idea right out there. But it says on the wall, Coda, Church of the Apostles, disciples making disciples. And then in the corner, it's the definition of discipleship that just reads growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that that's what we're talking about when we start to talk about discipleship. Think about the Great Commission, what Jesus says. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And that's what he tells. He says, go make disciples, and this is what it looks like. They're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're going to obey. You're going to teach them to obey all that I commanded. But then if you look in Acts chapter one and Acts one, eight, Jesus says, uh, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's a parallel passage to Matthew 28. And he's saying you're going to go and you're going to proclaim what I've done. You're going to be my witnesses. Or in John chapter 20, we have kind of John's version, even though it's not exactly parallel in the timing. So a little bit before. But in John 20, 21, Jesus says to the disciples, uh, that they are to be sent in the way the Father has sent me. He says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. But in John's version, in chapter 20 of John, or in Acts 1, we see in both of those that Jesus says you're going to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we get our definition. Hopefully we get it directly from Jesus, that we're going to teach them to obey all the ways of Jesus in every area of our life, but it's going to be in the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so that's our definition of discipleship. But then when we think about discipleship, there's a second part that I want to make sure we're clear on. When we talk about discipleship and making disciples, disciples who make disciples, if you are a Christian, you've come to a relationship, a saving relationship with God through what Jesus has done by grace, through faith, it is all what Jesus has done. And you are claiming that you are now a disciple. There's no categories. It's not like disciple is the Navy SEALs of the church. Right. Like if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. In fact, if we read in the New Testament, what we see is they use uh, disciple quite a bit. They don't really use Christian at all. Two times in the New Testament and one's in a derogatory manner. So they weren't referred to as Christians. They were disciples of Jesus. Or you read in Acts, they were the way. Talk about it a lot of times as the way. And so when we start to think about disciples who make disciples, who are the disciples? Sometimes people go, well, isn't that the church's job? To make disciples. And I would say, yes. Who is the church? You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. And it's our job as leadership within the church to help equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry to make disciples that make disciples. We're all in this together. 
And so when you think about that discipleship and disciples who make disciples, don't remove yourself from that. You're part of that. We're all called to be making disciples who make disciples. But then one last point just of clarification, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter two. When we think of discipleship and Jesus gives the great commission, go make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go do this. Who was he talking to and who was he talking about? Sometimes we miss this and it's so clear. It's so obvious. It's right in front of you. But basically, Jesus is there together right before he ascends with basically the believers, the people that knew Jesus and loved him and were there with him. And he says, I want you to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. And so when we think about discipleship, I grew up always thinking discipleship is one believer, older believer, taking a younger believer and like doing a Bible study with them and starting to teach them and help them. And it's partly that there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at what Jesus says and what he calls us to discipleship is just not older believers with younger believers, but discipleship is helping disciple people to faith and then from faith to maturity. It's not just believers. It's to those that don't yet know Jesus. Discipleship is a continuum all the way through. And if we miss that, we miss a huge part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so when we think about that, growing in our relationship with the Lord And that takes believers helping one another in that. But then going to those that don't yet know Jesus. That's why when you walk out and you look on the wall, we have up, in and out. Up and we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. In, we're growing in our relationship with one another. And out, we're growing in our relationship with those that don't yet know Jesus. And that's what a disciple of Jesus looks like. All three of those areas growing together. And so that's one of the things that we come back to a lot. And we talk about up in and out for that reason. Now I say all that to say you're going to see that. I think I can show you this very clearly in Acts chapter two. It's not something we made up. It's not some uh, theory that we had and put together. We're just trying to follow what Jesus did and then what his disciples did. And I think that's what they did. The up in and out. And you see those three working together. So with that said, let's jump in and look at Acts chapter two. Real simple. What are they doing and how do they do it? And then what's happening as a result? So what are they doing and how they do it? And then what's happening? So let's just start there with what they were doing. Acts chapter two. I'm going to pick up in verse 42, but make sure you catch the context of what's happening. This is less than two months after the ascension. Peter gives the first stand up. Public profession uh, gospel sermon and 3000 people come to faith. They go, what must we do to be saved? And they hear as he proclaims the gospel and what God has done. They've just received the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes out and he begins preaching and the church is growing like crazy. And so when it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. It's this group that's growing the church. Here they are. And they've come to hear the gospel. And the first thing that you see them doing is they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. They're spending time together. They're in God's word. They're praying. They're in fellowship. And that's what you see. It's the first step of what they're doing. But then you read on verse 43 and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so they start to live as a family. 
But they're meeting needs of one another. They're spending time together. They're eating meals together. They're loving each other as they go. As needs arise, they're willing to lay down their own needs for the needs of others and step in and meet those in a very physical, physical needs. They're seeing, it says, awe is coming upon every soul. They see God moving. They see miraculous things happening. And then you get to verse 47 and it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. People are being added to the church. Those that don't yet know Jesus are now coming into contact with this church and these people loving each other and living as a family under the word and praying. And they're seeing people come to faith. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But I want us to think about how they were doing that. What's happening there? And what do we take away from this? If we want to be growing as disciples of Jesus, this was the disciples. This was the apostles that were there with Jesus. Eyewitnesses. And they spent three years with them and then they go out and this is the way they see. And so the first thing I want you to see when we talk about how were they doing it, what was happening is verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Word and prayer are always going to be at the forefront of anything that we do as a church. The church universal, not just our local church, but the church through history is always going to come under God's word and it's going to be bathed in prayer. When it talks about the apostles teaching, just so you're clear, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so this is the eyewitnesses that were with Jesus that would write the New Testament. Teaching and relaying what Jesus had said and done and telling one another wouldn't be until a, a, a little later. Twenty years or so, they start to write all this down and they start to then disseminate it. It's how we get our New Testament Uh, Sometimes maybe you have questions about what books there's this kind of narrative today that there's a whole bunch of books and we just pick and choose a few of them, the ones that we want. And that's what we put in the Bible. But what's in our Bible in the New Testament, the 27 books that make it up are the oldest writings of Jesus's followers that actually saw him and were with him. Eyewitnesses to these things. The ones that come after that people that weren't there and it gets to 50 and 100 and 200 years later, those are not included because they weren't eyewitnesses. And Jesus says, I'm going to bring to remembrance everything that I've taught you. And he inspires them and the spirit comes and they write this down. And that's what makes our New Testament. But that's what we're talking about when they're listening to the apostles teaching. And so they're devoted to the apostles teaching and prayer. And I think of what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Abide in me and my word in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we start to talk about making disciples who make disciples that are following the mission that Jesus gives us, it's going to always start foundationally on the bedrock of God's word. Always. Bathed in prayer. Relying on God. Speaking to him and all these things. I think when it talks there too about the fellowship and the breaking of bread, that they're sharing meals together, but it also carries the connotation that they were remembering the Lord's Supper together. Talking about what Jesus has done and coming back to the gospel. And so the first thing is prayer and word, but then the second thing I'd say when we look at that is this fellowship of the believers doing this together. And you see this all the way through the New Testament, that they're devoted to one another. It says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And sometimes we get the, the thought that it's prayer and word and I'm good and I can do this myself. But you don't find that in the disciples of Jesus and the followers of Jesus. 
You don't see that in the New Testament. It's always in community together. It's always walking that out and speaking the truth to one another. I say this frequently, but there's over 50 one another passages in the New Testament. It says that over and over and over again. <clears throat> we are called to do that together. And that's hard for us sometimes in our culture because we often think of it as just me and God. But that's not what we see. If we step back and we say disciples who make disciples, we want to grow in obedience to Jesus. And we go back and we look at what Jesus did to make disciples and then how they were living it out. Right. And so what we see Jesus doing is the same thing. There's very, very little in the Gospels of Jesus one on one with people. He's preaching to the masses. He's going to groups. He sends out in uh, Luke chapter 10, the 72. So he didn't just have 12 disciples. He had much more than that. He sends out 72 in Luke 10. He's got the 12 that are following him, that are with him all the time. But even within that, he then has the three, Peter, James, and John, that he'll pull aside every once in a while. But you see Jesus kind of working in these ways, in these groups, but it's never just him and one other person. Not usually. There's some conversations like that, but it's usually in community as they go. And he's teaching them. That's what it looks like. And then we see them doing the exact same thing here. And it's an important reminder for us because every single one of us has blind spots. We need other people to speak into our life. We just spent four weeks on talking about the four G's that God is great and glorious and good and gracious. And we've talked about those because the point is that we forget that at different times. We operate in unbelief at different times and we need to be reminded of that. But it's sometimes not us reminding ourselves. We need other people reminding us. As we live in community together. Sometimes we can miss parts that other people see and they go, I don't think you're believing here. And you're like, oh, yeah. But then we remind one another the good news that God is good and that he is great, that he is in control, that we can trust him. And it helps build our faith. And so we're called in to do that together. And so they were spending time in the word and in prayer and in community together. But then you start to see this this family of faith growing and they're starting to experience this community on mission that is loving one another the way Jesus has loved them, that they're giving stuff up. And they go, it's not my stuff, but I'm willing to to sacrifice for the good of others. See the direct gospel implication of that. Man, we are really good at trying to explain away verses 44 to 46. They sold their stuff and they started giving to those in need. We were like, well, that was the early church and that won't work today. And we make all sorts of things on why. I'm not saying you got to sell all your stuff, but the general heart goes directly with the gospel. That Jesus gave up everything for us. He emptied himself and he came and he says, I'm doing this for you. And so we begin to tangibly love others the way Jesus loves us. It means meeting needs around us, including physical needs. And they were starting to experience that as they lived in community together. And so under the word, in prayer, living in community together. But then I want you to think about the way they were doing it. Look at what it says there uh, in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Remember the context. 3,000 people have just come to faith. 
The church went overnight, Acts chapter 1, to 120, praying together in a room to 3,000. And it says, so they would gather together in the temple and they would do that, but then they would meet in houses from house to house, having meals together, right? And so they would break down into smaller groups during the week to spend time with one another. And I think they get that pattern and that picture from the way Jesus made disciples. And so if you go out and you look on the wall in there, it'll say on one half of it, deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. We didn't make that up. (laughs) That wasn't like our thing. Jesus has the the masses and he has the 72 and he has the 12 and he has the three and he goes deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And so even in our church, we have about 200 members in our church and God's blessed us and different people are coming and we're not a huge church. But even with 200 people to go deeper in our discipleship and to be growing in those ways, it has to be deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And so what you see them doing here, they're meeting throughout the week in smaller settings and they're spending time together and they're encouraging one another. And so when we think about that picture of what it looks like to make disciples, it's under the word in prayer, it's in community together, but then it's getting into smaller settings for that to be able to happen so that we can be known. So people can speak the truth into our lives. If you just come here on a Sunday morning and you slip in and out and you talk to people and you go, I'm good, I'm good, great. It's hard for us to disciple one another. It's hard for us to speak the truth into one another's lives because we don't know what's happening And so getting together in those smaller settings helps that to take place as it facilitates that. So deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. But then look at the last part, and this is so important in verse 47. So they receive, verse 46, their food with glad and generous hearts, their meeting in homes. And then it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so the context there dictates who all the people are. All the people are all the people. Those that don't yet know Jesus. As they are loving each other, meeting one another's needs, inviting people in, spending time together, radically generous in all these different ways. People are like, what is going on with this group of people? They're seeing tangibly the love of Christ and the way that they're loving one another as they're being invited into that. And so we talk about the up and the in and our community of loving one another and we're inviting people into that. It brings favor with all people. And then it says this incredible thing happens. They get saved. They go, ah, that's what the grace of God looks like. That's why Jesus says, you will know my disciples by the way they love each other. Right. Just think about the implications of that statement. You will know my disciples by the way they love each other. The assumption is that as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be loving others and people are going to be able to see it. They're going to be invited into it. And so when we talk about what they were doing, yes, they were meeting and having Bible study. And yes, they were praying. And yes, they were going to the temple together. And yes, they were sharing meals, but they were on mission to those that did not yet know Jesus. And they're doing all of that together. You see the up, they're growing in the relationship with the Lord, the in with one another and the out to those that don't yet know Jesus. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day. 
And so I hope when you walk out there and you see what's written on the wall, it's not just something that we try to come up with as a church. And here's our mission statement of those things. It's what Jesus did. It's what the ones that we stand in a direct line of, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus, it's what they did. It's how the gospel got from there to here. And we're part of this. We get to be part of what God's doing. And so when we think about what that looks like, we try to facilitate those environments. You are the church. You don't go to church. Our job is to help equip you for the work of the ministry to do this very thing that we're talking about. And so the ways that we try to do that here is we have missional community groups and we have DNA groups. A missional community is we gather together in homes during the week and share a meal. Sounds kind of familiar, hopefully. We gather together and then we go and we meet in homes and we share meals and we invite people into it. That's what a missional community is. We're on mission together to love one another, to invite people into it. And so some weeks we gather together in the missional community that meets at my house. And sometimes we read a Bible passage and we pray and we talk about what's going on. And sometimes people show up with friends that don't yet know Jesus. We go, great, let's have a meal together. Come be part of this. Spend time with us. And so we want to continue to do that. We want to have opportunities. And so what we do with missional communities is we want you to get plugged into one. And you go, well, I'm not exactly sure how this looks like. I want it to be as easy as possible for you. Come get involved with other believers. And what's going to happen is you're going to get together and you're all going to sit around. And you're going to go, how do we do this? And if I'm just being real, very real with you, a lot of times I'll be like, I don't know. Maybe we should start praying about who God's sending us to. And you know what happens when we do that? Then everybody's like, hey, we need to invite so-and-so to come. Yeah, okay. And you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and God brings people and he does what he's going to do. And you seek to be faithful in every part of that. And it's messy and it never looks exactly like you think it's going to look. But God shows up. And he continues to do it. And so if you're not part of a missional community, after the service, Luke's going to be outside a little table right out in the fellowship hall to just take down name, your number, where you live, what your schedule looks like. And somebody's going to call you this week and go, here's options for you. Same is true with the DNA group. A DNA group is three guys or three ladies getting together to go through a Bible reading plan, to encourage one another, to confess sin, to remind each other what is true about God and what he's done for us. So we put those four G's into practice. I'm struggling right now with anxiety over this and I get to hear back. God is great. He is sovereignly in control and he's got you in the midst of this. And I want to encourage you that this is what's true of you in Jesus. And we get to do that together. And the point is to go deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer in the same ways that we see happening in Scripture. And so if you're not in a DNA group or a missional community group or either one of those, would you take just a second after the service Tell Luke your availability. If we don't have a DNA group that fits or there's a missional community that's not quite working or your schedule, guess what? We'll start more. So what we want to do. We want to see healthy multiplication, more and more people on mission together to proclaim the name of Jesus in every area of our lives. 
And so I want that to be as simple as possible. If you're somebody that's like, ah, that kind of makes great. Just come talk to us and we'll sit down with you and we'll figure out. And then I'll take you or Luke will take you or somebody will go with you and we'll introduce you to those people and we'll go with you. You don't have to do any of it. You don't have to show up like, oh, no, I don't know. these. That's okay. We want to make it as easy as possible. So as we end here, I want to end with this. That's practically how we do this here. The best we know how. And it's always evolving and hopefully we're getting better and we're seeing it grow and multiply. We're doing it better and we're equipping people more fully. But as we think about those things, I want to just end with this. Why? You're not saved by going to a missional community. Right? Please hear that. You're not saved by being in a DNA group. Wonderfully, gloriously, you are saved completely and totally by what Jesus has done and nothing else. By grace, you have been saved by faith and it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. So why? Why do we say, get involved, do this, come be part of it. Verse 42, it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul. Or down at the bottom. Since they received their food with glad and generous hearts and they are praising God and having favor with all people. When I read this passage, I read it a bunch this week. There is this joy that they're experiencing as they live in community, loving Jesus and seeking to invite other people into it. And so when we talk about these things, it's not like some church growth model It's not like we're a business. We're not sitting around thinking about like our brand and how we get it out there. Right. When we tell you that we want you to be involved in these things, God is real. And he's revealed himself to us in Jesus. And he tells us that this is what it looks like. He's designed you to love God and to love people. It's what you're made for. And he's gone to great lengths to invite you into his family that you can experience the love of who he is and what he's done. And then you get to go out. You get to go out and invite other people into that. And so when we talk about that, I want you to know the love of Christ beyond measure. And I don't think it happens by yourself. I don't think that's what God says. And I want you to know that. I want us to know that in full. I want us to gather together each week and be overwhelmed at what God is doing. The people he's drawing to himself. And we get to celebrate. And by the way, that's happening. You are doing that. We see that regularly. But I want every person to experience that. I want every believer to be growing and learning and being overwhelmed by the goodness of God as we go on mission together. And that's what Jesus says. Again, that's not our idea. Really believe that's what he calls us to. And so forgive me, some of you have been around for a while and you've heard this sermon or some version of it before. But we need to come back to it over and over. 
And the reason we need to come back to it over and over is Jesus is better than anything else. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. Thank you that you love us in an incomprehensible way. That it is so beyond anything that we can imagine or see. And that when you call us into community to love others in the ways that you've loved us, we thank you. We pray that you would continue to draw us out of ourselves and, and to love one another. We thank you that you've gifted each person here in different ways. That we could love others in the ways that you've loved us. I pray for those uh, that are not yet believers. If there's some here today that are trying to figure out what it means to follow you and what you've done for us, would you please open their eyes to see the glory of who you are? I pray for our friends and our neighbors, our loved ones, our co-workers, those that you've placed right in front of us, that we would be quick to invite them in, that we would love them well, and it would all be for your glory and your honor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.